Bingo. 16, 17, 22. <laughs> Chapter 7, verse 17. That's where we left off. Oh, you guys did good. That was great. Way better than first service, by the way. <laughs> they knew the general vicinity. Isn't it great we can laugh in church? That's, that, now that's holy laughter, by the way. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for bringing us together, for gathering us. Lord, you are the shepherd, we are the sheep. We're so in need of you nourishing us this morning. Thank you for how you love us and cherish us. And for all of the great things, Lord, you've already ministered to our hearts, that you're going to minister to our hearts. What else can we say but thank you, Lord, here's our lives. We offer our lives afresh to you this morning. May you be the one leading and guiding us. So we entrust the rest of our time this morning to you. Have your way in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can. Change us. By the power of your spirit, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. Here we go. Get that timer rolling. Sweet. Hey, so listen, I don't have time to go back and kind of rehash what's going on in 1 Corinthians. But just by way of reminder, Paul is writing a letter, and it is a corrective letter, to these people that he had pastored. He planted the church in Corinth. He pastored the church in, in there as well. Problems arose. That's why it's a corrective epistle. He's correcting things that are in error, some, some things that are jacked up in the church, if you will. But he's also, check this out, he's also answering questions that the church had for him. Anybody ever play Jeopardy? Watch Jeopardy? Ever watch that show? It's like you, you got the answers, but you got to figure out the questions, right? That's, what the, that's where we are right now. We have the answers to the questions that the Corinthians had asked to Paul in a previous letter. So we don't have that letter, but we have the answers to the questions, so we have to kind of figure out what in the world they were asking to the Apostle Paul. And we're going to talk about marriage again this morning. No amens. It's okay. <laughs> We're going to talk about singleness this morning. For you singles, there's something for everyone here this morning. For those of you who aren't married, you singles out there. Paul continues to deal with relational issues within the church. Number one, how to have a godly marriage. Number two, how to live a godly single life. So let's check this out together. Chapter 7, verse 17, God's word says, as Paul writes, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one 
remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God. Notice this. In that state in which he was called. And so, I don't know if you noticed a word that's being repeated over and over and over. It's the word called, right? Has Jesus called us? Yeah, he's called every one of us. And hopefully every one of us here has responded to that call. He's called us to follow him. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, correct? We've been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ, a relationship, the very reason we were created. And Paul reminds the church, let me draw your attention back to verse 17. He reminds the church, number one, God has distributed to each one of us. He has given to us, he has allocated to us, and it speaks about our position in life, where we are at, what's going on in our lives, our lot, our portion, if you will. And it speaks, you guys, it speaks of God's sovereignty, by the way, that God is in control. The Bible tells us, it's interesting, the Bible tells us uh, when Paul was at Mars Hill in Greece and he was speaking to the philosophers and, and, and he's rolling out, talking about our God and how our God wants us to know him, that he has placed each and every one of us, he's pre-appointed our times and our boundaries where we were born, when we were born, all these things in order that we might seek him, that we might know him and walk with him. Isn't that cool? Speaks of God's sovereignty. And God's God's sovereignty is amazing. He is in control. And you think about the stars, the, the sun, the moon, the world events, but he's also involved intimately in your life this morning. Isn't that amazing to think that this almighty God is involved personally in your life and he's called you to follow him? Jesus, the Lord has called us to follow him and we've received and we've responded to Jesus. God has given me my portion in this life. Jesus has called me unto himself. And then Paul's exhortation, the instruction is in light of that, let us what? Let us walk, let him walk. Let us continue to walk, to move forward. Walking, walking speaks about a movement, right? In step with God. And he's gonna, and the point that he's making here is to be content. Are you content where the Lord has you this morning? It's a big issue, isn't it? Contentment? No, little issue. You guys all content? Hallelujah. We can just skip this portion. Let's just get to chapter. It's the heart of the matter. God does the distributing, my condition, the state that I am in is God's will. This moment in my life, and Paul is saying, don't look down the road, look at where you are at right now, because we can get so focused on what we hope is coming and not what is in our lives right now. In fact, some people say, I'm single, I wish I was married. I'm married and I wish I was, God forbid, nobody here though, right? Not saying that here. Or life would be so much better if. You've got the ifs. 
When God has given me everything he wants me to have right here, right now. And Paul is saying, be content in your present calling. We, and we often look at others, don't we, and wish only if, only if I had what they have. And, we, and listen, it's a bad thing if we allow those feelings to go unchecked without bringing them to the Lord, bringing those thoughts captive to Jesus Christ. Paul is exhorting us here to follow Jesus, to walk with him, to serve him right where we are at right now. Don't be looking down the road for something to happen. Serve him right now. Because what can happen is we can think, I'll start serving the Lord when I graduate from high school. I'll start serving the Lord when I graduate from college. I'll start serving the Lord when I get that job. When I get that promotion, when I, get, when I make this amount of money, now I'll start serving the Lord. When I retire, I'll start serving the Lord. I'll have a whole bunch of time to start serving Him. When I go to the elderly home, I'll start serving Him. Then we'll have, then, you know what we say then? I'm too tired. <laughs> Listen, don't let it get too late. Paul says, start serving the Lord right now because it can become an excuse for not serving Jesus today, for being about his business today. And so Paul prescribes this. He institutes this. He says at the end of verse 17, in all of the churches. And then the examples of the condition that people are called in, verse 18, it speaks of our background. Did Jesus call you while circumcised as a Jew? Don't try to change that. Did Jesus call you as a non-Jew or a Gentile? He says, don't try to change that. Listen, don't try to be something that you are not. And let me remind us, by the way, the wall of separation has been taken down in Jesus Christ. We're told, we're told in Galatians, um, we're told in Colossians also, that there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, nor barbarian, nor Scythian. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me remind you, there's level ground at the foot of the cross this morning. These physical differences mean nothing. This ritual doesn't mean anything. Your background is not a big deal. What matters? What does he say? Look at the next verse. Verse 19, what matters? Being a what? Doer of God's word. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, three times, John 14, if you love me, obey my commandments. The one that loves me obeys my commandments. And John would later write, he would later write, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy. Because he's made it simple, hasn't he? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others as yourself. It all boils down to love. It's all, the book is all about love, guys. All the law and the prophets hang on those two right there. Loving God with all you got and loving others as yourself. That's not burdensome. And he gives us his spirit to help us to do that, to walk in that. And so in verse 20, he says, remain. Each of you stay put right where Jesus met you, right where Jesus has you. What Jesus has called you, simply abide, be content right now. But I got to back up for a minute. Listen, if you were called as a drug dealer, you need to get out. <laughs> you're a pimp prostitute listen it, get, it's involved in something wicked or evil get out and then you know what get out and then maybe the lord will use you later to minister to those people Amen. in a special way because they need jesus also and so he goes on some more examples here verse 21 were you called did jesus call you when you were a bond servant or a slave 
He says, don't worry about it. Why? Because you can serve Jesus right there as a slave, as a bondservant. Hey, if you could be made free, if you're able to purchase your freedom, guess what? Use it. Leverage that. Leverage that for what? To serve Jesus, to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the furtherance of God's kingdom. And, and by the way, about half the Roman, Roman Empire at this time, they were slaves. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? Listen, some were workers at homes, some were educators, some were involved in agriculture. There was, a, there was a, this hierarchy. That there was the very rich, the wealthy, the elite, and then this small, this small uh, group of middle class. But then everyone else, the majority, were poor, poverty-stricken, and they were, many were slaves. And here's the deal. Paul's not justifying slavery here. How can you say that? Again, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought equality. There is no longer slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. So important to be reminded of that. Men enslave men. Jesus sets men free. Isn't that awesome to consider this morning? And by the way, slavery still goes on today around the world. And he goes on. Did... Jesus call you while you were a slave, a bondservant? Guess what? He reminds him, don't forget, Jesus set you free and you belong to him. Similarly, did Jesus call you, look at verse 22, while you were in a state of freedom? You are his slave. No man owns you. You belong to Jesus. Either way, either way, use it for the gospel. Whatever state, whatever condition you are in, use it. Right where you are to serve the Lord. I love that. Why? Because you were bought at a price. This is important to remember through this whole passage. We were, Paul reminds us this a couple times, doesn't he? You were, what was the price that he paid? His blood, his life. You were not bought with silver or gold or bulls or goats or any critters. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that purchased you and I. Listen, we are now under, we're, we're the purchased possession of Jesus Christ. Is that amazing to consider this morning? And it's been said that the, on, the only true freedom is being totally enslaved to Jesus Christ. Because he's the best master, isn't he? So radical. And so he purchased us, he set us free. Listen, when you buy something, don't we say that? Is this thing worth paying for? Anybody ever say that? Is this thing really worth it? Guess what? You were worth it. It tells me you were worth it. You are valuable to the Lord. Pastor, I don't know. I just I got low self-esteem. And... Listen, look, look, this should remind us. God values you tremendously. You are of eternal worth to him. He loves you. He demonstrated his love by giving his life for you and for me. Get your eyes on him. He loves you and cares about you. And he takes care of the things he's purchased, doesn't he? Amen. Takes good care of it. Takes good care of us. And so Paul ends verse 24 right there where we finished reading a moment ago. Family, listen, abide, dwell. Each one of us, stay connected to the Lord with God right where he met you, right where he has you, right where he's called you to. Just abide there. Be content right where he has you. Maybe you're saying, Mike, it's so hard to be content. That's true, isn't it? 
Again, let me ask you, does contentment come naturally? No. <laughs> like, not a trick question. <laughs> We're, listen, Ephesians, or not Ephesians, Philippians 4. Paul said, I have learned to be content no matter what state I am in, whether I'm abased or whether I'm abounding, whether I'm in the penthouse or the outhouse. That's street level stuff for you. <laughs> whether I got a ton or whether I got nothing, I've learned, literally, I've been instructed, is what it means in the Greek, to be content. And you guys know Philippians 4.13, don't you? Yes. You got, I'm sure some of us have it on our walls at home. T-shirts, maybe. I can, you guys know it. I, we, we quote it, don't we? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's kind of like the leap over a tall building verse, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ. Yeah. The, listen, the context is contentment. That's the context. Whether I got nothing or whether I got a ton, I've learned to be content. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ. The one who's in me, through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't matter what I got or don't have what I got, what I don't have, anywhere in between. I have Jesus. That's all that matters. And he strengthens me to get through it. Isn't that glorious? Well, let's keep rolling. Look what it says, verse 25. Now concerning virgins, and so Paul's answering a question that they had. Must a Christian get married? Is it necessary to be married? Is it more spiritual to be married or single? I think those are some of the questions that may have been uh, asked. Because now he goes, he's going to answer a question. Now concerning virgins... Those who are single and have never experienced sexual intimacy. And by the way, let me stop right there for just a minute. God wants us to remain sexually pure until we're married. Hey, listen, if you've blown it, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. If we confess our sins and forsake them, we find his mercy. But God intends his desires that we would remain, I'm speaking to the singles now, to remain sexually pure until we are married. And listen, this is for the parents, and I'm exhorting myself. If we fail to teach our kids what God says concerning this, then guess what? The world will work to conform them to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world teach your kids about this. Are you with me still this morning? I know this is, there's going to be a lot of stepping on toes this morning. I'm sorry. I love you. A lot of challenging things. I'm challenged. It had, to, it had to filter through my heart first this week, meditating and studying. But let me remind us, we need to teach our children these things. And then they get reinforced here as we go through God's word, you guys. Are you with me? About 50% of the room. Hopefully the rest of us. Pray for us, parents. So Paul says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord. Yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man 
to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such, he says, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. And so Paul, again, is answering a question here that was posed concerning marriage, concerning singleness. And so, by the way, getting married is the second most important decision in your life. Who are you going to spend the rest of your life with? What's the first most important decision? That sounded right. What's the first most important decision? (laughs) Is trusting in Jesus. And Paul says in that verse, the first verse we read, 25, he says, I I have no instruction from Jesus concerning this. I'm giving my opinion. I believe it's reliable. I'm qualified. Why? Because Jesus in his mercy made me reliable, made me dependable. And here's the thing, you guys. It's no less inspired. This is every single bit of God's word. Our Bibles is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. We need every bit of it. Don't we? Yes. We do, don't we? It's good to have steak and potatoes. We need our veggies, don't we? Spinach and... <laughs> correct? All of it? The whole council. And so Paul says in verse 26 and 27, this is my opinion, what would be good, what would be good for you in this present distress. It speaks of tribulation. It speaks of hardship and difficulty. What I believe he's talking about is the persecution from the Romans that was going on against Christians at this time. Perhaps locally there, it was getting hotter and heavier, the persecution. It was getting gnarly. And so Paul says it's good for a man to remain, to stay put in that condition, that circumstance he is in presently. In other words, to face the reality of your, cir- your present circumstances. And in these next few verses that we read, Paul applies this general principle to everyone, in a general sense to everyone. But here, this is for those who are single. And what does he encourage them? He encourages them, listen, maintain that sense of contentment in your condition and recognize things will get difficult if you take a spouse right now. If you have a family, oh, you may think you're like Mr. Superman Christian, tough, but when you have your wife and she's about to be tortured or your kids, you've got a whole nother level of, of, of responsibility and, 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 and crisis and suffering that you're going to have to go through if you take a wife right now in light of the present distress. And so there's a, isn't there a whole nother level of responsibility to deal with when you're married? You're like, yeah, I don't know. She takes care of everything, Pastor. <laughs> we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Listen, that's the, for our brothers and sisters around the world, that's a reality. Their lives are on the line every single day. And Paul says, Listen, in, in light of your present distress, it's better to remain. Are you married? Stop seeking to be single. Are you single? Look at verse 27. If you're single, stop seeking a spouse. Don't be consumed by it. That's the idea here. But he does go on to say, if you do get married, you have not sinned, right? 
Hey, if you do get married, it's okay. You haven't sinned. Or if a virgin gets married, she has not sinned either. But listen, you'll have some particular challenges, heavy pressures. And he says, I'm not going to go into details. And marriage is awesome, isn't it? (laughs) Marriage is awesome, isn't it, married couples here? (laughs) It's hard, though, isn't it? It's hard work. There's added cares, distractions, stuff that comes along with marriage. And we're going to talk about singleness here as we move our way forward. And maybe you're sitting here going, Pastor, what do you know about singleness? You've been married 26 years. I was single once. <laughs> but some, and, and some singles, they're in such a hurry to get married. They see everyone else starting to get married and what happens? I'm going to pass the, it's going to say later, the flower of my youth. <laughs> Not getting any younger, Pastor. Can I encourage you? Don't be in a hurry. Listen, if you go back and look at the life of Jesus, he was never in a hurry. Check that out. God's timing is perfect. Correct? Don't do it because everyone else is. Paul goes on. This is so good. This is heavy, though. Let me give you like a little disclaimer. This is heavy. He goes, but this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they have none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. Why? For the form of this world is passing away. So what's Paul doing here? He's trying to get their eyes, their focus, their perspective back on eternity. Time is short. Are you with me? It goes, doesn't time go by just like that? I'm looking at my little baby here singing, leading us in a worship song this morning, and I remember playing Barbie cars with her, and now she's going to be driving my car. It's like, where did those years go? I used to roll out of bed just, hallelujah, I'm ready to hit the day. Now it's like, I feel like the Tin Man. I need to oil some joints. Listen, time is short. Jesus is coming. He's coming, you guys. I think Paul has in view the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Because either time is real short and that, listen, we're not promised tomorrow. None of us here is promised tomorrow. Not even our next breath is promised. And we will, at some point, every one of us, pass through the veil into eternity. And the point Paul is making here is whether the Lord comes for you or whether you pass through the veil, you need to be serving the Lord, making your life count right now where you are at. And he's saying here, it's interesting as he goes through, he talks about family relationships, he talks about emotions, he talks about material goods. And by the way, I know I'm going to step on some toes, we can make our family, it can become an idol. 
We can make our families an idol. And listen, our families are so important, you guys. Absolutely important. But they cannot become an idol in our lives. Our our hearts are idol-making factories. We can make anything an idol, can't we? Our car, our hobbies, our possessions, whatever. He talks about emotions in these verses and feelings. Listen, our emotions and feelings should not keep us from following hard after Jesus, whether we're weeping or rejoicing. And he also talks about material stuff. If you're living to have things, to buy things, listen, this morning it's time to wake up, to take inventory in your life. What are you spending your life on? What are you spending your life for? What if today was the day? Would you hear those words from the Lord Jesus Christ? Well done, good and faithful servant. And he's saying, take what you have today. Leverage it for the kingdom. Use it for the kingdom. No matter where you are, maybe you are in business. Are you using that position? Leveraging it for the kingdom? Maybe you're a mom at home. Are you leveraging that, using that for the kingdom? These things that we read about in these verses, verses 29 to 31, must be put in their proper perspective, you guys. What is distracting you or me from serving the Lord full on? Paul challenges us here, doesn't he? Isn't this a challenge this morning? He challenges us not to put our roots deep into the things of this world. Because why? What does it say in that verse? Because they're passing where? Passing away. Right at the end of verse 31. These things that we see around us, these temporary things are going to change drastically. So what's Paul saying? We only have a small window of opportunity. The night is coming when no man can work. This is our opportunity right now for such a time as this. To see God's kingdom further, to evangelize the world before it gets dissolved. Life is like a vapor, like a puff of breath in light of eternity. And by the way, I think I need to speak on this. Verse 29. Because there may be some husbands here that are saying, I heard that. I got that verse highlighted now. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. (laughs) Really, Pastor? All right. Next Friday, I'll be out all night playing pool with the boys. Saturday morning, it's Dear Lease, Texas. Sunday morning, I'll be down at the car show. And I'll rinse and repeat next weekend. Listen, this is not an excuse to abandon the responsibility that we have to our spouse. Paul was saying, because we know the time is short, because we know the world is passing away, those of us who are married need to dedicate ourselves to what matters most. Listen, this morning, when it's all said and done, you want your marriage to be used for the kingdom of God. Can I, can I meddle a little more this morning? Thank you. I heard one yes. That's all I need. One green light. Thank you. This is for the married, married folk. Have you spent time talking to one another about God's purpose for you as a husband and a wife? Have you sat down together 
and articulated God's plan for you guys, his vision for you, wrote it, written it down, or however, however you can get it before you. Listen, God has given you spiritual gifts and me spiritual gifts that we are to, that those gifts are to be stirred up and used for the kingdom of God. Let me ask you another question. Do you know your spouse's spiritual gifts? Are you, okay, maybe you're saying, yeah, pastor, I do. Maybe you're saying, I don't know, pastor. This is, listen, this afternoon, great conversation starter. Not just great, that's eternal. That's the best conversation. Not, hey, somebody would be like, what was he talking about, dear Lee's back there? That's all you're going to be talking about this afternoon. But some of you guys are going to take that to heart. I, listen, I tell you what, <laughs> I am eternally grateful for Tanya. How she has encouraged me, sacrificed for me to serve the Lord. I know that she has my back, that she will, she will go with me to hell and back serving Jesus. I drug her all the way down here. 2001, we, left, I left, we left everything behind to come here in 2001. She didn't complain. She hasn't complained, griped. She's not like a leaking faucet. Isn't that Proverbs, leaking faucet? No leaking faucet with her. Just encouragement. I'm behind you. I got your back. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Hallelujah. So flexible. So encouraging. So that God can do something great. It's all perspective, you guys. Listen, marriage shouldn't cut back our service to the Lord, but increase our service to the Lord. Amen. God knew that I would be better off married than single. That's for sure. It's God's distribution. And Paul's desire, verse 32, look what he says, is that they'd be freed up. But I want you to be without care. That's what that means, to be freed up. He who is unmarried, single, cares for the things of the Lord. What does that mean? How he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy, both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say, why, Paul? Why are you saying this? I say this for your own profit, that you'd be blessed. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord, how? Without distraction. So Paul talks about singles and married couples. He bounces back and forth, right? The single guy can give himself, or single gal, they can give themselves fully to the Lord to please Jesus, to serve without distraction, correct? That's the blessing for you guys. To serve Jesus without distraction. 
the husband or the wife, guess what? We have responsibilities within the marriage. We're, we're called to serve the Lord, but we have certain responsibilities that keep us from doing what you can do for the Lord. But we're both blessed. I think it's interesting, too, that he, what he says here. He says that for the marrieds, how the husbands can please their wives and wives can please their husbands. Isn't that interesting? Wives and husbands have a mutual responsibility of pleasing one another. How do you find out what pleases the other person? You've got to talk to them, don't you? You've got to ask them what pleases you, what displeases you. And so he goes on, uh, verse 35, it's interesting, he says, Paul says, listen, I'm saying this that you be blessed for your benefit. I don't want to put a leash on you, some restraint. This is what is good, that you may serve Jesus full-on, undistracted, unhindered. I think Paul's point is clear to the singles. You are in a great place. There's so much potential for you to serve the Lord. It shouldn't be a bummer. It should be a radical blessing. God has positioned you. He's distributed to you. He's positioned you to be about His work. God is in control. He's in control. God hasn't brought that special person yet. Do you believe he can? Singles, do you believe he can bring that special person? Yes? If it's God's will for you to be married, then he has that person for you. He knows what you need. But that person, if you look exclusively to that person to satisfy your needs, you'll be, you'll be bummed. Because only Jesus can satisfy those needs. Can I encourage the singles, use your time, your talent, your treasure to serve Jesus. Listen, we often miss, this is, don't miss this, we often miss why we are here, the purpose we're here. You ever thought about that? Why, why am I here? Why am I at this church, man? <laughs> Why am I sitting here? Why? What is your purpose? Listen, it's for God's kingdom. And, and this morning, if you don't get that right, you won't get anything right. You won't get your job right. You won't get the married life right. You won't get life right if you miss that because Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you that's to be what we seek first to seek him and he will add those things that i need in his timing in his perfect timing so can i encourage the singles seek the lord get plugged in use your spiritual gifts wait upon the lord delight yourself in him and he will give you the desires of your heart use your spiritual gifts don't go looking Hunting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, be Mr. or Mrs. Wright. How about that? Well, we got to talk about dads and daughters. We're almost done here. We got time? Oh, we got an hour and a half left. Sweet. <laughs> Verse 36. It's important to understand. You talk about dads and daughters here, otherwise, you get jacked up. But if any man, speaking of a dad, thinks he is behaving improperly towards his virgin, his daughter, 
Because in that culture, dads oversaw the daughters. It was the father's responsibility to give away the daughter in marriage. And so if she is past the flower of youth, she's beyond the prime of life, is another translation. And thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and has so determined in his heart that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, and then Paul clarifies what he's saying here. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, but he who does not give her in marriage does better. So Paul's preference, again, in light of the current situation, the persecution, present distress, Paul's preference was singleness. But if dad gives his daughter away in marriage, it's okay. He's not sinning. The couple's not sinning. It's all right. But Paul says if he, if he keeps her back from getting married, that's even better because of that present distress. Verse 39, as we conclude here. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives. But if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I also have the spirit of God. And so Paul talks about the wife is lawfully married to her husband as long as they both shall live. But if the husband dies, she has freedom now to what? To be remarried to the, anyone she wants, but only in the Lord, as long as he's a Christian. Correct? Is that what it says? So, so a couple things that we take away from that. Number one, marriage is a lifelong commitment. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Number two, Christians marry Christians. Paul will say it in a number of different ways. He's going to say it in this book, in the next uh, couple chapters. He says that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You guys know what that means, unequally yoked? That means if you're a Christian, you marry a Christian. We talked about this last week, no missionary dating. Or evangelistic dating. You know what I'm talking about by that? I didn't hear a whole lot of amen, so I'm going to repeat. This will be a repeat from last week. <laughs> Pastor, I'm dating this guy. I think he's the one. Does he know Jesus? You know, he's got a tattoo that says, only God can judge me. <laughs> Is he a Christian? Is he born again? He's got a cross. It's a T. His name is Tom, but it might be, I think it's a cross. And pastor, those biceps. And those made in the USA traps he's got. You should see this bod on him. I don't care about his bod. I care about his heart. 
And can I encourage us, don't settle for anything less than God's best. If you think you're with that perfect person and they're encouraging you to do ungodly stuff, run. The Bible tells us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Maybe you're sitting here going, what in the world's yoked mean? You guys ever seen like a couple of ox that are working a field together? And they got the little dude behind with the plow. You guys ever seen that? Anybody ever seen that? How's that? Is that a good visual? Does that make sense? You got two ox. And they have a wood harness over their necks. Are you still with me? That's the yoke. Unequal yoking would be having a ox with a cat. <laughs> Doesn't work very well, does it? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Here's you, you're a believer. Now an unbeliever hops into the yoke. Guess what direction they're going to take you? Not Jesus' direction. Pulling another way, it's going to be painful. <coughs> Listen, it may be evangelistic, but it's not realistic. And I understand the heart of it. You want to lead the person to the Lord. Hallelujah. Bring him here to church. Bring her here to church. They're going to hear the gospel. They're going to get the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. God has someone for you, but that someone will be in love with Jesus. And if you're serving the Lord, guess what? You may find that person here as they're serving the Lord. Because I've seen it happen. And we can say amen to that. Amen. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. Such an awesome passage, Lord, so um, heavy and necessary and needed. And God, I pray that my brothers and sisters would take away the things that have come from your heart, that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of you. Help us to lay aside the, the weight and the sin that would slow us down. That we would look unto you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, running with endurance the race that you have set before us. Thank you that we're not alone, that you are with us. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. That it is you who works in us both to will and to do for your good pleasure. So may you be well pleased, Lord. May we express our love to you by our obedience to you, Lord. For you just told us this morning that that's what matters. Is obedience from the heart. And so help us to do that. Thank you for all that you're doing. All that you've yet to do. Thank you for teaching us contentment. Thank you that we can all do all things through you, Lord, that strengthens us. 